So you're going to need a Bible today. The way it's going to work is that we are going to have the combined scripture that uh, as the four gospels are being woven together. Uh, that is being created each week as I'm kind of uh, moving through that. So that will be up on the screen. Uh, it will be color coded so you can see that there's various gospels being added in there. But I have two passages we're going to be turning to in our Bibles that will be in our hands. So if you don't have one, there should be one under the seat in front of you. And because uh, these stories are so rich, because there are so many layers to it, and there's so much material to get through, I'm going to have you turn your attention to the fill in the blank on the sheet that was given to you at the front door. So why don't you take that out as we begin? I'm going to hit that and then launch right into some material of today. We are in part eight of our Being Jesus series, and I entitled today's message, One Like Us. Speaking of how much Jesus, uh, as he came down and dwelled among us, was like us. And so I just want to make this simple point to begin. You do not have a God that doesn't understand. You do not have a God that is distant. Whatever you make of God, you can't make him distant. It's not biblical. Uh, God has gone to extreme lengths to send the second person of the Trinity down to take on humanity to be with us and suffer and have weakness and have limitations. So whatever you're going through in your life, it is not catching God off guard. He not only created you and knows how your body works and knows your limitations, but he has lifted. So therefore, it's a been there, done that. Therefore, I need you to see the fill in the blank is true. We have a God who understands understands. We have a God who understands. This is never a religion where there is a lofty God up in some white tower somewhere that has no connection to his people. This is a God that dwells within. This is God who walks among. This is God who sees the yuck and the nastiness and the incredible twistedness that is going on within our hearts, our souls, and our minds. So God understands he's with us. If you feel alone and you are a child of God, that is not true. You are not alone. You are not abandoned. You are not forgotten. God cares so deeply about you. I would even suggest to you that if you are not yet a child of God, meaning you are not yet a believer, you are not yet submitted to the Lord, you are not yet rescued from your sin, you are not yet uh, given your life over to Jesus Christ, I'm still going to tell you, God is all over you. He is constantly drawing you, wooing you, loving you, caring for you. We have a God who is heavily engaged. Stop allowing your circumstance to dictate whether or not God loves you. That is an improper way to look at it. We need to understand that just because we can't see him does not mean he's not there. Just because he doesn't do what we want doesn't mean he doesn't care. Just because it's not how we would have designed it doesn't mean it's not good. So we need to understand God is with us, among us, and actively walking with us. All right? So let's go ahead and dive right into today's message. We're going to go ahead and throw the first passage up on the screen. As you can see, we have the blended gospel, and there's the key. So Luke's in white, Matthew's in uh, yellow, and then Mark's in green, and John's in red. There's not going to be a lot of John today, because he didn't have anything to say about this. So you're not going to see him show up too much. So 
as I've combined these, just to give you an insight, as I've combined these passages, um, I'll add in words that you go, really, why did you have to add in the word then? Uh, because what I'm trying to do is anything that deviates from another passage, I add in. I'm trying not to remove anything from scripture. I'm trying to make sure all of it is present. And it also changes the nuance when you're doing internal study. So that's why all that is on there. Uh, so let's go ahead and begin to go through it a little bit. And by the way, our story begins, uh, as you heard last week with pastor Ryan, Jesus was baptized He comes up out of the water. We have the full Trinity in all of its beauty, right? You have the father saying from heaven, this is my son. Identity is locked in. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then we have the Holy Spirit coming down like he did in the Old Testament. He came down upon Jesus for empowerment for ministry. And there you have the son of God standing there in the water. So in all that glory... It's an amazing moment. John the Baptist got to witness. The disciples got a chance to witness this. And then he goes out into the desert to be tempted. There was no time to enjoy the glory of that moment. It was immediate. Take a look at how it goes. And then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. And the Spirit immediately drove immediately drove, led up by, drove him into the wilderness. That word drove is more commonly used in the New Testament for the driving out of demons. So it means an expelling, a forcing. There was an intensity on Jesus that the Holy Spirit, who had just lighted upon him, who was just gentle like a dove, now grabs a hold of him and drives him into the wilderness, right? So that's what we got. The spirit immediately drove and led up by him out into the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Uh, We think of a lot of names and we blow by them and we forget the meaning of them. So let's talk about this for a second. Who is the devil? The devil is Greek diabolos and it means slanderer, accuser. So if indeed you are a child of God and you have condemnation on you saying you are not loved, you are not cared for, you are not good enough, you should never go to heaven, you're a loser. If you ever have those voices in your head, that's right in his name. Do you understand? That's the devil messing with you. He is an accuser. His whole job is to remind you how screwed up you are right? His whole job is to remind you why you shouldn't be loved. The antidote to that is understanding grace. Grace means I know that's true, but my God loves me. I understand I'm a failure, but Jesus rescued me. I understand I'm not what I should be, but I'm not done yet. I know, you understand grace is the, I know, but this is true. Satan wants you to stay in the accusation and he wants to continue to slander you. It's his title. All right. Now, he also has another title and that one's Hebrew. So look at the next one. Uh, He was being tempted by the devil by Satan. Now, this means adversary. If you remember a little later on, some of you have been in the Bible enough to realize Jesus calls Peter Satan. It means adversary. So it's a descriptive term. 
And all you need to know about that is that if there is something anti-God coming against you, it's Satan right there in the title. He's your adversary. He wants you gone. He wants you dead. He wants you nullified. He wants you to not attack him. He wants to keep you on the defensive. He wants you to feel accused and down. I mean, that's kind of his desire. So we're going to talk a lot about temptation today. And I know everyone here has not only been through it, is going through it now, and will go through it a lot. That's just kind of how life has to go. All right? So we'll talk about that. It says, for 40 days, he was being tempted by the devil, by Satan, and he was with the wild animals all alone in a harsh environment, and he ate nothing during those days. All right. So let's make it personal right off the bat. As long as we read a story where you go, yeah, 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 that's true about Jesus, you're not going to see that it's true for you. So let's be very practical about the idea of temptation and trial. What's the difference between God putting you into a difficult situation and you being tempted by the devil? Is there any difference? According to language, according to the words used, nope, there sure isn't. Then what's the difference between a trial that is to refine you, a trial that is to reveal where you're really at, a trial that is to make you stronger and give you greater revelation? What's the difference between that and a temptation that wants to destroy you, a temptation that wants you to sin, a temptation that wants to get rid of you? What is the difference? Motive. That's it. Because suffering is suffering, hurt is hurt, pain is pain, difficulty is difficulty. I don't care whether or not you say, well, you know what, this is really purposeful in my life. You know, people come up to you and you got a a terrible trial going on and they come up and they're like, you know what, but you know, all things work for the good. I feel like just punching them in the face and just go, you know what? Yeah, I get it. I appreciate that genius. The point is I'm still hurting. You know what I mean? So uh, you're going to try to drop a bunch of religious words on me and that's going to make me feel better. No, it doesn't. Now, having hope and every child of God has hope, right? Every child of God knows that though it is not a good thing, understand that when the Bible says that everything will be used for the good does not mean everything is good. You know what? Well, you know what? Everything's used for the Yeah. Because Jesus is so marvelous, he takes something that is horrible and redeems it. But it's not good. We were not designed initially to die. The whole concept of death is bad. But when Jesus rescues us and takes us from glory to greater glory, he redeems that whole death thing. But death is still not good. It's not like we're all fired up about it. It's not like it's easy. It's not like we have any way to process that. Death is bad. That's why it hurts so much when it happens to someone we love. So please be careful on what you're telling other people. Please not tell them, that's right, it's all good. No, it's not all good. A lot of bad things happen in this world. Call it what it is. But my Jesus is brilliant. And my Jesus can redeem it. And that means the glory goes to him. Let's just not live in a fake reality. You know what I'm talking about? All right. Nobody does. Praise God. All right. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. You listen. You listen to the CD later and you'll be like, yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay. Not right now. All right. Let me, let, me, let me give you an analogy on kind of the idea of this temptation trial and kind of how it really depends on motivation. Let's say I kidnap you, right? Let's say I'm totally twisted in the head. I kidnap you and my whole job is to destroy you. But of course, you don't just kill you quickly. So my job is to torture you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to demean you every day. 
I'm going to talk about how worthless you are. I'm going to degrade your spirit. I'm going to force you to do a bunch of stuff, right? I'm going to tear down your body and I'm going to try to, you know, all this horrific stuff you would imagine in a terrible movie, you know, and I make you run till you throw up, you know, and all this terrible, you're like, man, this sounds horrible. Lance, why are you talking like this? This isn't, this isn't church talk, right? Well, this is Bridgeway talk. That's your fault for coming. But anyway... (laughs) You know, and, and constant, you know, I'm throwing stuff on you and I'm making you do stuff that doesn't even matter and I'm breaking down your body, right? And you would go, man, you're a monster. Well, I would be, but it's also called basic training in the military. Are y'all tracking with me? All right, what's the deal? It sounds like a drill instructor. In other words, the motivation's very different. The motivation is breaking you down, constantly making you do things, having you run till you throw up, all these same things. It's this constant push, push, push all the way to the end. So one thing is a monster. The other one is military. And you go, what's the difference? Motive. Um, let's use another analogy. Um, if I was to pour acid on your face that would burn off the entire layer and it would bubble and you would have pain and have to take drugs for weeks until it heals I would be a monster unless, of course, I was your cosmetician and you paid me to do it and that took off the front layer of your skin and now you have healthier looking skin, right? So it depends on, it depends on motive. You see what I'm talking about? Uh, Think about how much you pay a personal trainer to jack you up, okay? We, if we have purpose in it and we know that it is for our best interest and if we know that it's for our good, we will sit under it in one way. But if it is forced upon us and it's in a slavery concept, we think of that as bad. So the trials are the same. Resistance is resistance. Difficulty is difficulty. Pain is pain. But what makes a difference is who's running the show and why are they doing it? God's intention is never to force you to sin. If you go into sin, it's never God's problem. Here's why God promised you. I'm not in it for that. Therefore, if we're ever headed to the direction to sin, I'm going to give you an escape hatch. He promises you that in scripture, you will always have an out. So sin isn't going to be the answer. So you can never blame God on you're tempting me. That, that doesn't fly. Turn with me to the book of James. I'll explain this to you. James chapter 1. It's page 1011. 1011 in the Bible's under the seat in front of you. James chapter 1 verse 12. Check this out. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Doesn't oblique. Doesn't bail out. Doesn't attack God. Doesn't give up. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under difficult times. That's what a trial is. It means something horrible, something bad happened to you. That's what a trial is. For when he has stood the test, and remember when God told Abraham to kill his son, his only son, his his promised child, the Bible says, and God tested Abraham. So no, tests are difficult. Tests are hard. That's the challenge of it. Bad things happen for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, meaning prone towards sin, bent towards sin, forced towards sin. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. 
All right, there are three enemies of the believer in this current life. The world, the flesh, the devil. You got to memorize those because those all attack you in different ways. The world, the flesh, the devil, those are your only enemies. Other people are not your enemies. Your neighbor isn't your enemy. Someone across the political aisle isn't your enemy. There is the world, the flesh, the devil. Those are your enemies. We do not wage a war against flesh and blood, but we wage it against principalities and powers. We have all these structures that are set up that are being run by demonic influence. The world, the flesh, the devil. All right. Now, If God is going to put you into a pressure situation, if God's going to put you into the pressure cooker, if God is going to put you into a difficult time, what is he going to use for the pressure? What's he going to use for the bad element that challenges you? What's he going to use for the weight stack that you're trying to push up? What is he going to use for that strain and the leg weights when you're trying to train? He's going to use one of the three. The world, the flesh, the devil, right? Why? And you go, well, is God working with Satan? No, God is using Satan because Satan wants you dead. So like a snarling dog on a leash, he will let him go only for so long and then pulls him back, right? You understand? He can only do so much. He wants to rip your face off. God will stop him at the appropriate time. World, the flesh, the devil, the world is already hard on us. You think about the parable of the sower where the farmer's out scattering seed and that was the word of God. And some of that seed fell and it started to grow up and it says, but the vines, the, uh, the thorns came and choked it out. That's the world. The world is all around us telling us to focus on different things, telling us to worry about money, telling us to worry about retirement, telling us to worry about our security, telling us to worry about fame, telling us to worry about all these things that ultimately don't matter. And it chokes us out. So the world is already waging war against our soul. So sometimes God takes his hand of protection off of us and lets the world come crushing in. Sometimes it's the devil. Not always. Sometimes it's the devil where the devil's going, I want Adam. I want Adam. I want Adam. And sometimes God will go, all right, I know they're, I know what's going on with them. All right, here's the deal. You're right. My child thinks they're cocky, they're all that, and everybody else is a bunch of losers, right? So you know what? Go after him. Takes his hand off, <laughs> goes after him, right? Just <laughs> mauls you, right? And then you're like, oh, I feel terrible. You're, you're laying on the ground, right? And then God, all right, I got your attention. Do you understand? The enemy's real. All right, now you're not so cocky anymore, are you? All right, good. Now we have greater revelation, right? Okay. Now sometimes... It's what this verse just talked about. Sometimes it's your flesh. Do you realize that the devil could pretty much take the day off for the rest of creation and we'll create our own drama? Do you understand that? Everyone's like, the devil made me do it. No, we're just idiots. That's actually the problem. The devil doesn't have to do a whole lot. We actually have so much internal problems and drama. We have desire to sin and we make bad choices and they snowball into a whole world of hurt. Okay, well, sometimes God takes his protective hand off and lets you go your natural path just so he can have awareness and then he draws you back home. That's how tests work. But his point is never to lead you to sin. His point is never to lead you to destruction. His point is always for restoration. That's how God works. But that's not how the devil works. So a couple other things to know about temptation. Temptation isn't sin. Now, there are some folks in the room or listening to my voice, if it's on the radio, some folks that are listening to me, you are self-haters. 
You are self-condemning by nature. You always think you're doing something wrong. Nobody should love you. There's a problem with you. Okay, so I need to talk to you for a moment. And I need to give you some clarification. Temptation isn't sin. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we were, yet was without sin. That means they're not the same thing. That means this practically. You go in to pray and the creepiest, nastiest, messed up, twisted thought comes right into your head right when you're about to pray or in the middle of your prayer comes right into your thought and you're like, where did that come from? I must be a horrible person. No, you're human. Of course that thought comes in. Why? Because Satan's firing like a volley of arrows inside your head all the time, trying to get you to twist out, trying to get you to be uh, wrecked in your mind, trying to get you into condemnation, trying to get you into slander, right? So all this stuff is barraging you. That doesn't mean that you're wicked. It means you're normal. We think automatically, and this is where Satan gets us, man, you are screwed up. Might as well just give up now. Do you understand? He just won the battle. He used temptation, made you feel like that was already the sin, so you might as well follow through on it. That's completely messed up. That's not right. Temptation isn't sin. When you hang on to that thought, when you nourish that thought, when you walk with that thought, when you own that thought, when you act out on that thought, now we're into sin. But the very idea that it came into your mind is not sin at all. All the things that you long to do that you know are wicked, those are not sin. It's what are you going to do with them? Of course they come into your mind. They come into all of our minds. They come into pastor's minds. They come into laity minds. They come into whatever. We're all in the same boat. It's just how life goes. When you get that thought, your reaction is to be this. Where in the world did that come from? Man, that is messed up. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I want nothing to do with that. I'm at it. Even just driving to church today, I found that Satan just steered my whole thoughts one direction. And I literally, knowing even the message I'm going to teach, I was like, I rebuke that. Forget that. I'm going somewhere else. I got to go right back. And I'm like, Jesus, you got to help me because I am really screwed up. That's just life. We keep submitting it to God. Here's the other thing that really drives me crazy because Satan keeps winning on this one. When you fall, run to Jesus because Satan is trying to do a a combo and the combo is lead with a jab and then hit, right? It's the idea of set up, bam, then you can take him down. And every time Satan does it like this, he got you to fall once. Now he wants you in condemnation and isolation. So he's going to lead with a jab, he'll hit you, and you're going to go, oh, I fell morally, I fell, I sinned, I did terrible things, I let that thought go too far, blah, blah, blah. And then you end up in the fetal position and you run from God. Okay, that's the wrong response. When you sin, and you will sin, when you sin, you run to God and say, God, I'm broken. You don't run away, oh, you don't want to look at me, you don't want to... You're not hiding anything from him that he still can't see. You're not doing anything that's shielding you. You run to God, but Satan's going to go, see, I told you. Look at you. You are so messed up. God doesn't want to look at you. Man, you better run. You better run. You better run. You better run. That's his whole point. Do not isolate. When Satan gets you down, you run to your Jesus. Why? Because he gets it. He understands it. There's grace there. 
there is love, there is mercy. If your child fails, do you cast them out? No, you do not. And God will not do so with you. And even if you have gone to the end of your rope, God's rope is longer than yours. You understand what I mean? All right, praise God. It says this, a couple other things. There are choices that we make that either make temptation harder or easier. Half the battle is being alert. Don't be clueless. Satan has been playing the same simple routes to beat you over and over and over, right? He's been playing the same simple temptations and they keep working. So the first thing we need to do is be alert. Second thing we need to do is pray. Prayer matters. Now, prayer doesn't work. God works, but prayer matters. Do you understand what I'm saying? Prayer alters things because God alters things. So a couple other thoughts. Pride is a sure trap. The minute you think you're all that, you're done. If you ever get this idea in your head that you are better than all those other lame Christians around, (laughs) bye-bye. Okay, wherever that, that came from the pit of hell, and I'll tell you, even God's going to go, yeah, you can go beat him up. He irritates me too. You know what I mean? Another thing that we are not aware of is that discontentment is a foothold for the devil. Discontentment is a foothold for the devil. Why? Because when you are discontent, whether that's money or sex or whatever the issue is, when you are discontent, you almost invite him in. Uh, because all he has to do is go, look, man, that is messed up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why do you got to be like, you know, we got to fix that. That's not right. That's not good. And his temptation can grow from there. So what we need to do is make healthy choices in order to be filled up as much as possible so that we are not so needy. Once we are in a craving mode, we're done. For example, there's a lot of us in this room that are single and we have sometimes an unhealthy craving for a partner. And so we'll do all sorts of bad choices that lead to our destruction. What we need is so many significant healthy friendships that we are full as much as we can be so that we then can select someone to be with, not crave to have them. When you are craving to have them, you'll make a poor decision. When you are healthy enough to be able to say, I can select someone if I choose, then you're at a healthy place. We just have too much emptiness and too much craving and too much weakness so that Satan can just knock us over with not very hard of a push. You know what I'm talking about? So let's just keep moving on. Uh, One more passage to look at. Hebrews 4.14. Hebrews 4.14. It's page 1003 if you turn back to the left in your Bibles. Because it goes Hebrews, James. So we're just bouncing back one book. Hebrews 4.14 says this. A little bit of insight on Jesus. So since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What's that saying? It means God gets it. God cares. And he wants you to run to him. Amen. Amen. All right, let's go back to a passage. Let's go to the next piece. And when they were ended after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, like, like Moses did on Mount Sinai, except for Moses didn't have any water for 40 days. That's called supernatural 
sustaining. That's impossible. That is not a real thing for us to do. We can't go more than three days without water. You're going to completely screw up your system. Nobody should be going without all water anyway, unless God specifically tells you. But Moses was 40 days, 40 nights without water and food on Mount Sinai while he was getting the 10 commandments and talking with God. Unless you are personally talking with God and getting a memo, a note from him, do not do that. You understand? Now, Elijah had a 40-day fast, and he just had water. I have had a lot of friends in my life that have done 40-day fasts. If you go beyond that, you're starting to go into damage you cannot get back. Uh, Please do not harm your bodies just because we're not thinking straight, all right? So let's make wise choices, but fasting is critical. Fasting is important. Fasting supercharges your prayer life. Fasting is valuable. So I want us to begin, and I'm only growing in the area of fasting in my life, even right now, into having it on a consistent basis. Fasting is very, very critical. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He was tempted all the way through, but then he got a couple ones that hit him at the very end that were pretty brutal. It says, and he was hungry. Now he was not pretending to be hungry, He was straight up starving, all right? And the tempter, one of the many names for Satan, came. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, as we know you are, the father just told you that you were, meaning since you're the son of God, you need to do something different. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. All right, so what is the temptation here? Uh, right off the bat, you would go, well, it's, it's using miraculous powers for your own benefit. No, not really, because, because Jesus is going to multiply bread, and I'm sure he ate some of that bread. He's going to do that later on. He multiplied loaves and fishes, right? That's, that's not really it. What is the temptation? Well, let me drop this one in your spirit, and you've got to chew on this one. God wanted him hungry. Now, how do we know that? Because of the response, notice Jesus' response, Uh, Jesus is going to respond to the devil three times. Every time he quotes from Deuteronomy, the same three chapters, Uh, from anywhere from six to eight, so maybe it's four chapters long. Deuteronomy is about the, the Israel children wandering in the desert. He's highlighting a very specific time. So we can go back to that and look for hints. But Jesus said this. Jesus said, it is written, Deuteronomy 8, 3, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What his response was, was this, my needs are not the most important thing. The will of the father is the most important thing. That's, that's what he just said. This is a temptation of defying the will of God. This is a temptation to get out of something. This is a temptation to use your own power to fix your own problem outside of the timing of God. In other words, this temptation was to make it easy again. But God wanted him hungry. This goes back to a time where in the Bible it even says God wanted Israel hungry. He took their food away. So for you to oblique and go grab the food and fix your problem defies the very plan of God. We always think that, well, because we have needs, because we have cravings, because we have desires, they should be fulfilled. Sometimes God is saying, I created that desire in you and do not do anything about it. I will determine how that's solved. 
because God knows what he's doing. This is a temptation of feeding oneself and cutting out God. It's a test of doubting the provision of God. It's to act independently from the father to fix the situation without submitting. It's a test of who's running the agenda, self or God. And every time Satan comes in with this particular temptation, he leads with this thought. God's holding out on you. He doesn't really love you. Otherwise you wouldn't be in this problem. You ever had that temptation? Come on. He's been doing that since the garden of Eden. He did it to Eve. Man, did God really say that he's holding out on you, that you can't eat fruit from this tree? That's messed up. Why would he do that? You know how awesome this fruit is? And he doesn't want you to partake in it. Everybody else is having fun. You're not having fun. Why would God hold out on you? Man, he is really not looking out for your best interest. Keep saying he's a good father. Keep saying he's a good shepherd. You know what? A good father, a good shepherd would never put you in this situation. So I'm wondering why in the world we're even having this conversation. Anybody ever had that temptation? Uh, Yeah, you did temptation of doubting the goodness of God. There's always an underlying temptation in all this as well. Whenever God gives you a gift, a present, an ability, a talent, your first reaction is, how is this going to benefit me? Right? I mean, that's how it goes. Man, what can I do with this? What can I, man, I, you know how much I could make with this? You know how much influence I can have? You know how much fame I could have? Anytime you're good at anything, when God gives you a gift, it's how are you going to bless the kingdom? Not how are you just going to bless yourself? Jesus would not have been tempted if he didn't know that he could turn stones to bread. Jesus knew that he had miraculous power at his disposal. You know, how did he know that? I have no idea. All I know is it's not a real temptation if suddenly Jesus is like, I can do what? <laughs> That's awesome. I had no idea. He already knew that. Satan was going in, since you're the son of God, since you have access to the heavenly, since you have all this power, why don't we utilize it to make your life a little bit easier? Do you realize this is what Satan failed at in the beginning? Lucifer, the pinnacle of God's creation, the most beautiful creature, the most powerful, the most amazing, the most extraordinary. Lucifer standing at the throne of God, likely a cherubim of the highest sort, majestic in every way, carrying out the will of God, doing things for all of creation, at some point realized his agenda and God's agenda were different. And he thought, I'm going to go ahead and take this one over. I'm going to do it my way. He failed there. And now he's getting tried to get Jesus to fail in the very same place. And Jesus said, you know what? The most important thing that matters is what my dad's doing. As far as my needs, I guess that's God's problem, huh? It's not mine. Pick up the next passage. And he took him to the holy city, that is Jerusalem. And he set him on the pinnacle of the temple, which is just hundreds of feet above the Kidron Valley at the time. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, as we know you are, throw yourself down from here for it is written. Now he's starting to play Bible games. Remember, you can make the Bible say anything you want if you take it out of context, right? So if somebody comes up to you and they're like, well, the Bible says they may be reading it wrong. They better give you the context behind that for it is written and he misquotes psalm 91 11 and 12 he takes out a very important part of that phrase he says he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone what he forgot to say on purpose was god protects those who are in his will he cut out that part well that's kind of important 
He cuts out the in his will part and just says, you're the son of God, right? So here's the deal. Let's play the Bible game. God said he'll protect you. God said he has angels at the ready. Let's do something. Let's go big or go home. I mean, you're sitting there and it's all up in your head. You're the Messiah. You're the Messiah. You're the Messiah. Let's do something. Let's prove it. Let's see so you can feel better about yourself. Be more confident moving forward. Just run and jump. The angels will catch you. You know that's true. It's right there in the Bible. Jesus responds with a word of his own. Jesus said, and Jesus answered him, again it is written. And he said, Deuteronomy 6.16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He said, you know what? That's my dad. I don't need to prove him. I know he loves me. So you know what? When I need it, he'll bring it. Other than that, I'm not playing that game. Have you ever been tempted on this? Where you just want God to prove himself, prove himself, prove himself. You say you love me, prove yourself. You say that you care for me, prove yourself. You say that you're interested in my best interest. Great, prove yourself. God, do something. I'm sitting down here. You know what? If you're not going to do anything, forget you then. I'll walk away from you. Because if you don't do what I want you to do right here, right now, if you won't let me manipulate you, then I'm walking away from you. Do you see how messed up that is? How do we get it so twisted? Who's God? You or him? And if that's the case, you don't test God. You serve God. That's how it works. So sure enough, Jesus quotes a passage where the Israelites were uh, thirsty in the desert. They didn't have any water. Remember, water's super important. It's a basic need. I get it. There are critical needs that we have in our lives. Why were they thirsty? Because God took away their water. Well, that's kind of mean. It's only mean if you can't turn on a fountain on a rock. You understand what I'm saying? It's not mean when you can bring water at an instant. It's not mean when you're in control over all creation and the minute they need water, you can bring water. The challenge and test was that we always want it ahead of time so that we're never discomforted. You know what I'm saying? So that we're not uncomfortable. So that we're not concerned. We want God to give us everything in advance. Give me all the plans. Give me all the help. Give me all the resources. So I don't freak out about anything. Give it to me in advance. And God says, why would I do that? If I'm in charge of all creation, I can make it happen at the instant you need it. So I'm not bringing it till then. So they were thirsty and they began to grumble against Moses. And they said, I want to prove. You prove that God is with us. He said he's with us. Show us water. Moses went out and struck the rock and water poured out of a rock. And God said, see, I can do this at any time I want. But the very fact that you're trying to manipulate me and prove me, I don't take kindly to that. Yeah, you guys aren't getting in the promised land. This isn't going to work. Let's go to the third temptation. Then the devil took him up to a very high mountain. We have no idea which mountain this was. The area where Jesus was tempted is, has, uh, traditional site on it there's a monastery there um in israel israel is a very beautiful place they only have one huge ugly area and that's this place uh there's a desert where you walk around you're like man it's messed up over here it is dry there's like goat skulls on the ground and there's no water around here it's pretty yucky high limestone cliffs they have a monastery up there you can take a gondola up to it and jesus was up on the mountains whatever right all this stuff is going on The devil took him up to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Now that's a vision because there is no mountain that shows you all the kingdoms of the world. So in an instant, it says, 
He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory in a moment of time. And he said to him, all these I will give you. Satan currently controlled the nations of the world. Why? Because when God cast him down from heaven, he put him down here and let him be the prince of the power of the air. He let him be the prince of the world. He was running the show. And then when God built Adam and Eve to take over dominion, they fell, screwed up, and handed it back to him. So no one's challenging him on his authority here until Jesus shows up. Then Jesus does the cross, and it starts changing everything, right? So now we're in a warfare for the kingdom. But at this time, Satan had it, and he could give it to whoever he wanted. He said, all these I will give you, all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you, Jesus, then will fall down and worship me, it will all be yours. Now you look at this and you go, man, that's messed up. That's weird. Why is that a temptation? Because check this out. You can have the end result, but skip the cross. That's the temptation. Your father told you you're going to get all the kingdoms of the world. I just want to help you. Help me help you. I can get you there. I got the kingdoms. We don't have to do the whole cross thing. Man, that's going to be miserable. You're going to be sweating great drops of blood. You're going to be nailed up there. I mean, you're going to be beaten. You're going to be not even recognizable as a man. You know what's coming. We don't have to do that. I will give it to you right here, right now. I won't even resist you. I won't cause a problem. I don't got to play the Judas game with you. We can jump to the end. Just bow down and worship me now y'all can see very clearly why jesus isn't going to do that whoever you bow down to they own you so is jesus really the king of all creation if he bows down to satan no i loved his response and jesus answered him we're done here be gone satan that's never going to happen for it is written in Deuteronomy 6.13, you will worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Satan, I'm quite clear on the first commandment. Thank you. I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And no, I'm not going to bow down to any other God. I will not bow down to you. So we are done here. There is no point in you trying to bring in a temptation like that because I will go all the way to the cross and to death for my father. He says what I do. I follow his agenda perfectly. I am about radical obedience. I'm not going to get into a battle of wits with you. I'm not going to try to think of a new way to do it. I'm not going to scheme with you to try to figure out how to circle around God's will in my life. I'm going to tell you right here, right now, I do what my father says, period. So you need to walk away. Did you see how he used the word of God? It was this assault technique. It was this fight, defense, back, go back. Why? Because... Eve tried to reason it out in her mind how to get her need solved. She had a legitimate need, but she did it by illegitimate means. That's what Satan does. It's not that you don't have a legitimate need. Too many of us do things like this. Man, I'm totally lusting after this person over here and I'm having a huge struggle. You know what? I'm just going to say no to that and I'm going to read the word. Okay, you know what? The word's boring compared to that lust. So you end up trading one for the other and then you're sitting there miserable dwelling on it the whole time. Listen, we, you have a legitimate craving, but you can't do it by illegitimate means. There are appropriate ways to do things. There are appropriate means by which we are satisfied in God. We can't cut corners. We can't do the shortcut. We can't try to get away with it. See, here's the thing. 
This right here is the temptation of the shortcut. It's the temptation of compromise. Uh, Satan's most common tool in my life is this right here. No, no, no. We can get there faster. Especially in a world where you grow up where everything is efficiency and let's go, go, go. It's microwave maturity. It's, it's, you know, burgers as you want it, when you want it. It's that kind of thing, right? We live in this world where we want it so quickly. I use the Twinkie analogy. Sin is Twinkies, right? No offense to the hostess organization, right? Because of their sin, they are no longer an organization. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true. That's not true. I'm totally kidding. Praise God. They'll get bought up and we will have bad food again. Praise God. Here's what it means. You know you're hungry and what would be appropriate for your body is to have a balanced meal that you got to cook. Man, that's a drag. It's easier to open the little package, right? And shove a Twinkie in your face. That's way more interesting. Your belly feels full because it's probably not real food in the first place. So you know it will never actually process. So you have it in there for a while. You feel better now. That's Satan's great tool. I can make you feel better now. Now, ultimately, yeah, you're going to pay the price. Yeah, ultimately, it's going to make you sick. Yeah, ultimately, it's going to tear you apart. Yeah, ultimately, it's going to kill you. But you know what? You don't have to suffer. We can fix this. Whatever your discomfort, whatever your problem, whatever your need, whatever your concern, we can get there faster. I know God has a plan for your life. I know God wants to go the long way around. But isn't that miserable? Why would we do that? We can get there right now. You want a partner? Man, I got a site online for you. Right? We don't got to wait. The temptation of the shortcut tough it's the one that gets me every time it says and when the devil had had ended every kind type of temptation by the way these were only three samples right he departed from him because he was shut down by radical obedience and the word of god he departed from him until an opportune time he wasn't done he was just pausing And behold, seriously, check this out. Come on, you guys, come on. Gosh, it wasn't that long ago. Seriously, check this out. The angels, the angels came and they were ministering to him right there in that desert. And they brought him heavenly food and they brought him the water that he needed. And they ministered to him because he had fulfilled the will of the father. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. It is about the father's agenda, not about our needs. That's what it means. What's the purpose of these temptations of Christ? Listen, I don't even have time to dig into how multi-layered this story is. This could be a whole series in and of itself on one particular story. So let me just blow your mind on some titles. Check this out. Jesus is the new Israel. Israel was led through the desert in how many years? 40, 40 years. Is there any wonder that Jesus was in the desert for 40 days? Jesus is the new Israel. Everywhere that Israel failed in Deuteronomy, they failed to see the goodness of God. They failed in testing God. They failed in letting their appetites drive them. They failed, right, in all these things. Every place they failed in the desert, Jesus Christ, the new Israel, the new servant of God, did everything perfect. 
he's the new Israel. But he's not only the new Israel. In, in Luke, Luke separates the baptism and the temptation by a genealogy. Why would you do that? Because his genealogy goes all the way back to who? Adam. Jesus is the new Adam. Just as Adam and Eve failed in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Just as they caved and gave in to the temptations of Satan, Jesus had three temptations. He went through every single one of them. As one Adam brought us death, Jesus, the new Adam, brought us life, and he has changed everything. It's not just that. This was also, number three, a sign for the heavenly showing Satan, Lucifer, in your beautiful, idyllic, glorious setting at the very throne of God, seeing God in all his majesty, you turned against him, you bailed out on him, you stabbed him in the back, and yet Jesus, in a lonely, miserable desert, with wild animals, with no food, and nothing going on, he said, yes, God. Not only that, number four, it's an example for us. Jesus didn't go through this as a son of God, he went through it as a son of man. How are we supposed to fight temptation the exact same way? How are we supposed to fight temptation? The exact same way. How are we supposed to fight temptation? The exact same way. Jesus said, I'm giving you guys an example. This is how you do it. I didn't use any miraculous powers. I didn't use any of my son of God stuff. I didn't use any of that. What I used was radical obedience and the word of God. You got both of those. So don't play this game about you can't fight Satan. Oh, Satan's bigger and badder than you. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, he is. But you're a child of God. We don't have to fall. I got you. We have a God who understands. My favorite phrase is the next verse in Luke. Luke 4.14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Why? Because when God is in charge of a trial... He gets you in there and gives you resistance and gives you pain and gives you challenge and you're pushing against it and pushing against it. You're already filled with the Holy Spirit in your heart. But man, when you get done with the trial, you are ripped and ready to go. You come out of that desert and you're ready to walk on water. You're ready to feed the 5,000, feed the 4,000, calm the wind and the waves, right? Jesus comes out full of the power of the Holy Spirit, supercharged by his obedience to the Father. And he comes out and the Holy Spirit's all over him and he starts healing and casting demons and doing the most extraordinary ministry that's why trials matter that's why testing matters god would never let that happen to you if it didn't bring him glory and if it didn't bring you closer to him i know life is hard sometimes it's because someone's trying to kill you and sometimes it's because god will make you live amen